Hello, and welcome to A Journey Through Fantasy. My name is Patrick, and on this episode, we're going to be covering chapters 1 through 5 of Promise of Blood, the first book in the Powder Mage trilogy by Brian McClellan. All right. So, chapter 1, um, it's an early spring morning. Uh, we were introduced to Adamat. Um, he... Um, He's being summoned to the king's palace, which is known as Skyline. Uh, you know, it, it it's already odd that he's being summoned. He, as we find out later on, he's a retired um, police inspector, and uh, now he's more like a private investigator type. And so, it's just already kind of odd that he's being summoned to the king's palace. Uh, this is a you already know this isn't like our world. Um, this place is, uh, called Adro. It's, uh, I think it's one of several different nations and, uh, the, well, you know, you get some maps at the beginning, so, you know, I, I can't really go into detail about the maps <laughs> since, uh, this isn't visual at the moment, but he notices on his way to, uh, Skyline that, uh, there's no guards at their post. Uh, and in, in the, like the, the gardens and the mazes and all that, the hedge mazes and all that stuff, uh, and the fountains, you know, all, all around the palace grounds that lead up to the palace, uh, the lights are, the lanterns are not lit. Um, and you kind of already get a little bit of character development. You kind of feel like, you know, he is not that fond of the king because he makes a passing remark about in, inside his head. He makes a passing remark about, the king uses uses enough of the taxpayers' dollars, uh, or taxpayers' money, whatever, uh, for his personal amusement. Um, you know, and he's he's looking through, he's looking out in the garden, and um, you know, sort of commenting on his jacket. You know, it's he's wearing a summer jacket that he had to grab, and it's might be a little bit too too small for him now. You know, he he hasn't worn it in a while. You 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 get the idea. You know that he is a retired. You know inspector and you know he's you know he's he's in that life right now where he doesn't have to really dress up too much um and this is just out of the ordinary for him um he he thinks that he sees something moving out into the hedges uh it kind of spooks him a little bit but he realizes it's just like a, a a structure a statue of some sort um and he kind of makes this remark uh i'm what does it say? Uh, Still your heart, old man. You were once the eye staring back from the darkness. Um, again, more, more, um, you know, fuel to that fire that, you know, he's kind of out of practice from what he, you know, from, you know, he's retired. It's been a minute since he's done something, you know, where he'd be, you know, hiding in the dark and running around and all that stuff. It, you know, it's, it's, you get a lot in this, in just these first, you know, few paragraphs for a few pages, you, you know, you get a lot about him. I, you know, I can really tell what kind of person he, I, I can already place a, a type of characteristics on him. They may not be completely accurate, but I got a, I get a good sense of what he, what kind of person he is. Uh, the carriage drops him off in, in a sort of a rude manner that he, he doesn't particularly like. He was expecting to be, you know, the door being opened for him. Uh, but the carriage driver just bangs on the top and says, hey, you're here. Um, 
he he mentions that uh, you know the skyline. Uh, a lot of the nobility refer to skyline, the palace, as the jewel of Adro, uh, and he mentions that a uh, very uh, bold newspaper called it a starving pomper wearing a diamond ring. That uh, that they compared like Adro to that, and he makes a pretty good uh, little line here. Or he makes he makes a good line. Uh, the pride of a king or a king's pride doesn't fill the people's bellies. Uh, you know, again, m- more sort of like, yeah, he probably isn't the biggest fan of the king. Uh, he realizes he doesn't hear any footfalls of the hellmen, no fountains running. And, um, you know, the hellmen are like his personal, like private security or secret service and, you know, stuff like that. So uh, it's already odd that the that there's no guards at the post. There's no lights being, no, there's no lanterns lit. There's no hellmen sort of walking around and there's no fountains running and he mentions that um there was some saying that the fountains would only stop running when a king dies um so uh the soldiers uh some kind of soldier lets him in uh, an adran military which he says you know technically the adran military is run by the king but everybody knows who really runs the show and that's field marshal thomas uh, he's he's directed to the answering room. He uh, he eventually uh, gets gets there, but he, but along the way he's thinking, you know, the military, they you know why would they be here? Um, you know, was there some kind of rebellion happening and they came in to assist? And you're talking about how there's you know there's a lot of powerful factions at play here. You got the wings of Adam mercenaries. You got the royal cabal. You got the noble families the mountain watch there's a lot of different things that could happen a lot of there's a lot of politics here which is good it's it's a lot of world building for me going in you know it and and that's how you world build you don't sit there and and you you know you don't take up a whole page describing who the wings of adam are you don't sit there and describe who the mountain watch is or the royal cabal you drop the hints and then you move on and then you you flesh it out later right Adam Ad's walking through and he, he sees a pair of boots behind a curtain and, and he kind of thinks, oh, no, I'm, you know, uh, you know, he was already jumping at shadows in the carriage. So it's, you know, he thinks it's something similar, um, but he pulls the curtain back and there's a dead body and it's a, it's a hillman, one of the, you know, the secret service type people for the king twisting. He twists his cane, uh, revealing some steel, which, you know, he has a, like a, a sword that's hidden into a cane. Pretty slick dude right here. Uh, and then we see there's a man uh, at the stairs, at, at one of the stairs in the answering room, and it is Field Marshal Thomas. Uh, um, and he, he rec- Adamat recognizes him. He calls him by name because uh, they had met 14 years earlier at a ball thrown by Lord Allman. And, um, uh, of course, Field Thomas Marshall doesn't. Uh, Field Thomas Marshall. <laughs> uh, um Field Marshal Thomas doesn't recognize him, of course. Um, but Adamat asks, you know, why am I being summoned? And, and he you know, tells him, you know, I'm the one that summoned you on the recommendation of one of my marked, uh, Sanka. Now, marked, I think, you know, we'll, we'll find out a little bit more about them in the next chapter. But uh, Sanka and Adamat, they served together on the police force uh, in, the, in the 12th District. But, you know, it's said that Adamat has a perfect memory and that he he still is an investigator. I mean, he is a private investigator now. 
And he asked, where's the king? And Marshall Thomas says he's locked himself in the chapel. So it is revealed, uh, Adamat basically puts puts two and two together and realizes, you know, hey, you, you've staged a coup. Um, and uh, then, then a man appears at the top of the stairs, a uh, dark-skinned northerner is, is how it's described, a, a, de, a delive, a, a delive. I, I, I'm, I'm listening to this and reading it, and I can't, I think it's delive. So um, if I mispronounce it, I'm, my, it's my bad. But I should I should know how to pronounce it because I'm listening to it at the same time. Um, and, uh, you know, he keeps, uh, the guy at the top says he needs, you know, he needs some, uh, he needs help. Um, but then Adamat's, Adamat kind of is still processing that a coup has been staged. And I'm going to quote here from the book. Sir, Adamat said, what have you done? He tightened his grip on his cane sword. Thomas pursed his lips. Some say the Adran royal cabal had the most powerful privileged sorcerers in all the nine nations, second only to Kez, he said quietly. Yet I've just slaughtered every one of them. Do you think I'd have trouble with an old inspector and his cane sword? Um, so, that you know, that, that's pretty, that's, uh, you know, Pretty, pretty good stuff there. Adamat loosens his grip. He felt ill. I suppose not, he says. Sanka led me to believe that you were pragmatic. If that is the case, I would like to employ your services. If not, I'll kill you now and look for a solution, el- a solution elsewhere. Um, you've staged a coup, Adamat said again. Thomas sighed, must we keep coming back to that? Uh, you know, it, it, it's a lot of good dialogue. I like it. You know, it, it's... Uh, you, you you know, again I I I am we're one chapter in and I already feel like I I know these two characters really well that I can I can get a sense of of the kind of people they are. Um, it seems like Adamat sort of has a a, a a morality to to him. He is pragmatic, but there is a sense of right and wrong and 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 there's duty. That has to be done. And he's still, you know, again, taken aback by the fact that this man has the audacity to stage a coup against this king. Um, but, you know, Field Marshal Thomas, you you automatically get the sense, hey, he's going to do whatever he thinks is right, no matter the cost, no matter what. Right. Very similar to Galad uh, in The Will of Time. He's going to do what's right. Not, they're not exactly the same, but they're similar in that instance that they're going to do what's right, no matter the cost. What is it in um, that latest Suicide Squad movie, uh, Peacemaker? He says, "I'm I'm <laughs> I'm paraphrasing something about I'm going to get peace at all costs. I don't I don't care how many people I have to kill to do it, or <laughs> you know, something like that." Um, that's kind of how he is. Uh, it seems like. So Adamat says, "Okay, well, I'm not going to agree to this blindly. Can you at least enlighten me on what's happening here?" Uh, Phil Marshall Thomas reveals, you know, they killed they killed the privilege in their sleep, because um, that, that's not really the only way you can do it. But something happened, a mistake was made, and it led to a fight. Right um, upon the privilege's dying lips was a phrase: "You can't break Casimir's promise." Um, and he says, you know, Sanka said that you might remember something about that from their time as um, as uh, uh, you know working on the police force. 
uh, he remembers, Adam Matt remembers, that Casimir's broken promise was a street gang about 22 years ago. Uh, it was made up of 43 members, uh, and they were really odd. They would break into churches and rob priests. And then one day, all of a sudden, they disappeared, even the informants that, that the police had. Uh, and then some days later, they found them. They had all 43 of them. The bodies were jammed into a drain culvert. Um, they assumed it was by the King's Royal Cabal, and the investigation ended. So that was, that was, it came and went. There you go, end of story. Uh, you know, after the telling of this, the uh, day live comes back and says he needs Thomas now. Thomas uh, wants Adamat to find out the meaning of that phrase. Uh, he, he, and, he, and he quotes, uh, I don't like, I don't like the riddles of the dead. Good, good, good stuff here. Um, uh, he And he asks not to speak a word of this until the executions. That will begin at noon. Um, Adamat asks if he can speak with Sanka. And Adamat kind of says, if you can talk to the dead, you're more than welcome. So Sanka had died during this whole entire situation. Um and you know he and you know Thomas is trying. He's getting pulled away because of something something upstairs that we don't know about. But Adamat still needs more answered. It, it's it's too vague for him at the moment. I can understand that. It's so vague. I, I don't even know where to begin. Right. Uh, and he he says, you know, what what was the, how did they say that? How how did they say that phrase? Was it a command or a statement? And Thomas says it was like an entreaty, like a you know a humble request, almost like them dying wasn't what was on their mind at the moment. Um, Thomas, find, you know, asked one, or uh, Adam had asked Thomas, uh, you know, again, did you do this for power? And he says he, he, he did this for me and for the people of Adro. So that Manhooch, the king, wouldn't sign us all into slavery to the Kez with the Accords. Um, and, you know, Thomas had, had opposed the Accords uh, because the, the Kez had executed his wife, and the Accords basically would uh, admonish. You know, it would uh, get rid of all the debt that that was owed to them. But, um, but then they basically would just be um, slaves to the Kez. Uh, here's another nice little quote from Field from Marshall Thomas: "I did it because those grumbling students of philosophy at the university only play at rebellion." The age of kings is dead, Adamat, and I have killed it. Good quote. I believe a part of that is on the cover of the book. Good quote. Great writing right now. Um, you know, one chapter in, this Brian McClellan uh, seems very good uh, at, at, at what he's doing. Um, he's, he's creating this world, creating these characters. He's not really giving me too much fluff, you know. He's not too much exposition. He's he's putting in little mysteries that you know some some setup for maybe for some payback later on. And what I really like is I love uh, mysteries like whodunits and things like that. Not so much the Columbo stuff like that, like the the anti whodunit or the reverse whodunit where you see the killer being doing the crime and then you follow the investigator trying to solve it. I I don't like that as much. I like to be involved in the figuring out in the solving of the mystery. So I, I, I like this. I like this a lot. And uh, uh, yeah, if you, if you can create a mystery, that is, you know, that that's all I need to be invested in a story. It could be any, the character you can be, have any kind of characters. You can have any kind of, of world, 
But when you add in a mystery, I'm I'm in. I'm in. Uh and this one does it. This one does it. And, and you know, that's the thing about fantasy, um, that's kind of cool is I may have mentioned this before, but fantasy, I think it works best when you kind of combine all these little things. You need to have some horror elements involved. You need to have some suspense. And you need to have some mystery. Of course, you're going to have what, what what's natural with, with fantasy. Adventure, a quest, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? The typical, the Tolkien stuff. But when you add in these little pieces of all these other genre fictions and subgenres, or, uh, yeah, yeah, subgenres uh, of genre fiction, it just enhances the story, enhances the world, pulls the, it pulls the reader, from my perspective, in. Um, so already with chapter one, I'm feeling really good. I'm really, really good about this. All right, so in chapter two, um, Thomas returns to the apartment um, uh, of Zachary the Beetle, and um, I'm not sure what kind of title that is uh, at this point in the story. Um, uh, and Zachary the Beetle was a privilege who was murdered. Um, but now uh, a severely uh, injured marked uh, one of Thomas's powder mage, um, <clears throat> Leg- I believe it's Lagos, a female privileged that was unaccounted for, you know, attacked them. Killed five of the powder mages, um, and then Legos or Legos. You know, he's he's dying. Um, I think I think it, it mentions that half of his arm is cut off, but it's like lengthways, and like that's like, I don't know. That was, that was just weird to to visualize for me. I was like, ooh, man, that's that's rough. I mean, um, there was a one of the Saw movies. I'm not big into gory type movies. However, though, I do like the, the, you know, spoiler if you haven't watched like the first five, I guess. I don't know. But there's two of them that that you watch and then you realize they were happening at the same time. They were simultaneously happening. And I I, I thought that was really cool. I enjoy that kind of stuff. Um, And, of course, the twist of the first one, you know, is iconic. So, um whatever um but you know in one of those i remember some dude like has to like fill a liter or fill up some kind of container up to a certain point with blood and like there's like a table saw and he like cuts his hand in half but like you know starts between like two of his fingers and like runs it down and like that ooh, ooh man ooh, i don't like that so i was getting those kind of vibes right so uh so he dies and uh all right, so Thomas is given a new bodyguard. His name is Olam, uh, and he is a knack. And a knack uh, aren't the same thing as a, a powder mage um, or a privileged or whatever. They they um, they kind of just have one thing, one ability that's kind of odd. And his ability is that he doesn't have to sleep. He he doesn't have to. He he can just keep going and going. Um, but also, what makes his true is that he can sense privileged sorcerers. So like. He can, I guess he can sense their presence. But, but regardless, we're introduced to Olam. Um, now, Thomas leaves uh, where he's at, and he goes to the chapel. Now, we know, we've already been told the king is at the chapel, Manhooch. Um, 
he kind of put himself there. Um, Thomas is able to, you know, undo the latch, get in there. Uh, and inside there is a priest, the king and the king's wife. But then he, um, the king sort of stumbles after Thomas and starts going towards him, his hands behind his back, and he pulls out a gun. He's going to shoot him. Um, and then Thomas uses his powder mage abilities to, to, um, stop that. <laughs> um, of course he accuses the priest. He's like, you gave him that. And the priest is like, I gave it so he would do the honorable thing and kill himself. There's only one bullet in it. Uh, and I like this line. Uh, Thomas says, he looks at the, at the wife and he's like, well, you should have, you should have had two. Uh, you should, you should have had two bullets in there. Um, and, um, but, <laughs> um, he basically tells the king, you know, hey, I'm trying you for crimes against Adro and trying to basically throw us into slavery because, you know, to clear out your debts. Um, he's like, I, I sent it you to execution. And it's not just him. It's it's uh, a lot of the no nobility. So that that's chapter two. All right. So in chapter three, uh, we meet. Daniel, uh, Daniel, uh, shows up to the house of nobles, uh, with a mute companion, Capel, who is a, a Dainese. Um, we don't really know who Daniel is yet. And that's one thing I like about this chapter. Um, you don't really know until later who he is, but he, they walk into the house of nobles and he meets Saban, uh, Sabon, who is the day leave, um, from chapter one and chapter two, the one who, uh, who was on top of the stairs, uh, calling for Thomas. Um, they, they, uh, you get the idea that he's a, he's some kind of soldier. And I think he, uh, not, not Saban, but of a Daniel. And, uh, he says that to Capel, he says, I haven't seen Field Marshal Thomas in a while. You know, he, um, I am only a sergeant, uh, I'm only a, a soldier, which you kind of get an idea about who he is based on lines like that, but, um, it's still fun that it, this little my mi like minor mystery is getting kind of tugged along. Um, but he, he talks with, uh, Saban about the coup and upcoming tasks, you know, about, uh, you know, the execution of the King and, and, and his family, the Royal family, uh, about, you know, setting up a new government elections, things like that, you know, that a lot of people don't think about, you know, a lot of times, I guess in, in like real life, you know, when there's a, a rebellion or a revolt, um, I mean, there's still governmental things you have to do. You can't just overthrow a government and then just go about your life, you know? So they talk about that. Um, and then they, uh, there's mention of a Vlora, uh, Saban mentions her and we don't really know who she is at the moment, but she's mentioned and he says that she doesn't come with she or she didn't come with him. And then she, you know, he asked, kind of points to Capel and is wondering, you know, who she is. And he mentions that it, uh, she's his servant. Um, and, uh, then, uh, they kind of leave Saban and then go up to where, Field Marshal Thomas is, and at the moment he is speaking with uh, Andros, 
a city reeve, which the cool thing about um, reading like Kindle eBooks, whatever, you know, you can kind of select a word that you don't know. I didn't know what a reeve was, and you know, it's kind of like a a city magistrate of sorts. Um, and and he sees talking about balancing the books, and as far as the balancing of the books, you know the the government doesn't have any money. Um, you know, Manhooch has been, you know, that that's why the Accords is happening because they're in debt because they have no money. Uh, Manhooch has been using the money for, you know, not for what it should be used for. And he wants access to Manhooch's personal, uh, treasury. Though, um, you know, the they said that that his personal tre- treasury was promised to be given to the people, but uh, Andros says I got I'm going to balance the books first. You know, <clears throat> uh, he leaves. Um, Thomas and Daniel kind of have the little moment um, talking. You kind you know, well in the interaction with Andros too, you you know you realize or you it is revealed that Daniel is the son of Thomas, um, you get a really good sense of their relationship. Um, and, and you get a pretty interesting, or it's not interesting. It's not abnormal or unusual. It's pretty common, but I really enjoyed it. You know, you get the conversation, the surface level conversation that Thomas and Taniel are having. And then because this chapter is from Taniel's perspective, you're getting what Taniel is actually thinking underneath. You know, he, there's these little things you can you can tell there's animosity there. Good stuff, uh, and you know they talk about uh, Fatrasta, where Taniel's been involved in uh, like a, a war of some sort. Um, you know, he introduces Capel, which I failed to mention earlier. Capel is um, th- their people are considered savages amongst the people of Adro. Um, but they say they have red hair and freckled. So, again, I'm getting some Will of Time vibes. I'm getting some Aiel vibes. They kind of feel like the Aiel to me. Except for the Aiel are very tall, and I believe Capel is not that tall. Um, and then the end, Then they get onto the subject of the ending of the engagement of, uh, of Laura. Uh, Laura... Um, was cheating on Thomas. He came back and found her cheating. Uh, you know, the guy was probably more than more than likely paid by mercenaries, what they believe. Um, and and it's sort of alluded because alluded to that the nobility doesn't like Thomas because Thomas doesn't come from nobility, and he was a, he was a lowborn and he was able to rise up in the military ranks, and he you know he's the leader now. And because of how he got to the position he's in, he doesn't award. Uh, roles, military leadership roles, um, based on who you are. He it's based on your merit. Um, you know, I like Thomas a lot. Um, I, 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 as much as I probably, I probably will learn to understand why Daniel doesn't like him. I do like Thomas. I like, I like, I like the character a lot. Though I think, you know, like I said, I, I think. You will, you will, he will hit the picture that is painted of him will become much more gray and cloudy 
as we get going. Cloudy is in like he's not the best person. That's just my opinion where I'm at now. I like him, but he's probably there's probably some actions that he will take or it will be revealed actions that he has taken in the past that will just you know, I, I won't be a fan of. Uh <clears throat> excuse me. Um and all through this entire thing, from the entire chapter, Daniel has been, you know, snorting his his uh, gunpowder, um, which, uh, you know, a lot of the magic system here kind of reminds me similar to Mistborn, um, just similar in the fact that they're in they're ingesting, you know, something that we don't normally think about ingesting. I guess they're ingesting gunpowder, whereas um, in Mistborn, they're you know they're taking different kind of metals. Uh, but now then Saban brings in two people, a mage breaker and a privileged. Uh, the mage breaker, if I understand this right, is uh, someone who was a privileged, but then denounced their, their abilities. And so now they can sense a privileged and they can hunt them down. So, uh, but Thomas wants the four of them to hunt down the privilege that got away from, uh, you know, from the, the coup that happened. Um, and so that, so they, they're off to do that. We get a little bit of a change of perspective and we go to, uh, Nyla and now Nyla, uh, she is a, uh, laundress, some kind of servant, uh, for the, uh, the Duke Eldam mines. Uh, I might not be saying that completely correct. Um, but she, uh, you know, she seems like a real kind hearted person. She, um, kind of down on her luck and, uh, the Duke's son has, you know, taken a liking to her, uh, Jacob. And, um, but at the, at the time, you know, she, he, he woke up cause he couldn't sleep. She, you know, he, he sleeps, he, he, you know, he falls asleep in the room with her while she's getting the, the clothes ready and all that stuff. Um, and then the, uh, man, I cannot think of what they called her. Um, the, 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 not the Duchess, but the, the governess, the governess doesn't like her. She comes in she finds the boy there. She's like, Hey, you're the, you know, the, the Duke's wife is going to be mad at you. She'll be mad at me because, you know, I let you do this stuff. She basically says, I'm, you know, I'm going to, Tell her that the I won't tell the dude that he needs to fire you. If you know you need to get him bed, and she's like, "All right, what, whatever, get off my back." But at the t- but as she's gonna wake up the kid, uh, the Duke's son, uh, there's a, like a knock on the door. They go to get it or whatever, and uh, a bunch of soldiers uh, are rushing into the house to uh, to arrest the Duke and the family for treason. You know, you know gathering them all up uh, for the execution. Nyla grabs the kid up and hides the kid into the laundry basket and, you know, and, and dumps all the laundry on top of them. But then those two soldiers, a couple of soldiers about to rape the two. And, um, Olam, the new bodyguard for Thomas walks in and basically is like, Hey, you, he stops it. He's like, you don't, you don't do that. We don't mess with, Adron citizens, you know, like, I don't know what you do when you're out fighting other, other, uh, nations and whatnot, but you don't do that to the, to the, our own citizens. Right. Um, 
but Olam dismisses uh, uh, Nyla, doesn't think anything about her. And so she's able to get her and Jacob out of there. Uh, and, and I think she, Jacob is kind of posed as her own son. But um, but they get out of there. And uh, the way that the audible narrator uh, narrates Olam, he sounds a lot like... Uh, and man, it has been a while since I even thought about Game of Thrones. Uh, man, I can't think of the guy's name. Um, the guy who you know was buddies with uh, with Tyrion at the beginning, or not at the beginning, but at a certain point, he he becomes buddies with him, and he's what he has the line, you know, I'll impregnate the whatever. Um, talking about that, talking about the the, the veil. What they call the city of the veil? What I been so long but you know then he ends up the last season uh uh with jamie braun braun that's his name uh the 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 way that the uh narrator for promise of blood um it does change because he changes his voice for every character and it's pretty pretty impressive I, i really enjoy it um but he does olam to sound a lot like Bronn and even the, the kind of the things that Bronn's the things that Olam says reminds me of Bronn. So, um, that's where we end with chapter three. So chapter four, chapter four. Um, I don't know. I'm starting to really, as much as I like Thomas and Daniel, and now we're introduced to the Nyla plot. I'm still very, very, intrigued by Adamat's plot. His plot is really what's got its teeth or its hooks set into me for this story. So Adamat gets home. Uh, it's, you know, it's late uh, after being summoned by Thomas. Uh, I really like this. There's this one part where he's, he gets into the house and he's walking in a hall and he's like knocking on every door. And then he finally gets to where his, where his wife is. Anyway, he, he he tells her kind of what's going on. Um, there's a coup, um, and he's like, "Y'all got to get out of here, you and the children." Uh, and we'll find out later just how many children that is. Y'all have got to go um, to. They have a like a secondary house in Offendale. Um, and um, yeah, we have some little character building moments. He mentioned, you know, how you know she's gotten older. You know, he's gotten older. You know, typical husband wife things you know a couple there's a couple of kid interactions uh and he he gets them all up gets them out into the carriage and he has nine children he gives them all a kiss and uh, two kisses each for the twins and then the youngest one you know she's just a, a little sweetheart um and you know he sends them off and uh he notices a stranger walking uh, like like that was kind of keeping an eye on him and he makes sure that the stranger knows that he's watching him he goes back uh, into his house he stays up late he's he's writing all these notes and letters to send to certain people because of you know the coup um and uh and I, of course making preparations for the for his for his family of course you know that's the whole reason why he's sending the family away getting out getting them out of the city because it's going to be a madhouse right but uh he <clears throat> he uh once he's done with the letters he hears somebody trying to pick the lock and so he 
he uh, goes to the lock and he just pulls the door open and there's three three guys sitting there and I, I love he he says something along the lines of you know you're gonna make that much noise you might as well just ring the doorbell or you know something like that uh, I, I really enjoyed that and um one of the one of the guys is um Pelagi, who uh is basically a thug uh, but that has worked his way up to where he he's kind of like a like a like a, a, a loan shark in a way but but the thing is he and, and Adamat owes him money but Adamat didn't take a loan out from Pelagi. he uh, took a loan out with a friend who was who was a banker who ended up not being that good of a friend and sold the loan to Pelagi. now they have a little bit of a history because Pelagi being a thug and Adamat being a once policeman you know they've had encounters um but he you know he uh basically he was saying you know there i got word that you're leaving town you sent your kids off you know i was trying to you know i thought you were um you know trying to skip out on me and not not pay me what you owe me uh adamat lies about you know where he sent the where he sent the family uh and pelagi threatens to bring back his youngest daughter, that little sweetheart that we just met, uh, bring her back and, you know, basically hold her as collateral until, until that debt gets paid. Um, and, and so then, uh, you know, he, he gets them out he says, you know, I'll have the money, whatever. Cause, uh, cause, uh, Pledge makes a point that, you know, he, he may get the cops involved or something to that effect. And Adamant's like, you know, I still have friends with the, I'm a, I'm a cop. I mean, I used to be a cop. I'm not now, but I still have friends. You, you DA, you know, it's like, you think the cops are going to help you? Um, it, it's one of those weird situations that if you didn't know, if all you knew was that Adamant owed this man money and this man is trying to get him to pay it, but the man's using his influence as a once time cop. You would be like, hey, you know, that's corruption. But then you, but then you know, we know, we know the underneath is that Pledge's a scum, and you know he's whatever. You know, it's it's just a, there's a lot of intrigue there, and I like it. Um, so, but he, but uh, Adamat later on, you know, as the sun comes up and everybody's being being active, he he's going to um, sell the uh, send those letters off, and a kid. I think it was a kid runs out and yells that man Hooch has, has been overthrown and he's going to be executed at noon. And then the entire city goes into, goes into chaos. Um, and, and so we get the little images of that, about how people, you know, quickly, how, how, how the hysteria of it all. So, um, chapter four, uh, again, every chapter that's from Adamant's perspective so far, uh, the first chapter, the fourth chapter, I have really enjoyed it. Enjoyed them a lot. All right, chapter five. Now this one, there's a lot of information that is dumped on us in this chapter. So forgive me if some of it I, I miss or overlook. Uh, I I don't mean to. It's just we learn a lot in this one. And, and you know, I say that and you may, if you haven't read it, you may think, you know, there's a lot of info dump, a lot of exposition. I, I didn't really feel that, but it's kind of hard because I'm, I'm, when I get pulled into the story, especially when I'm reading, uh, I can't say the same 
I mean, I, maybe I can say the same about movies, but especially when I'm reading a book, a novel, whatever, comic book, doesn't matter. I tend to overlook the exposition. As much as I don't like exposition, I tend to overlook it if the story is enticing to me. So, again, I apologize if I miss anything. Well, we open up and Thomas is with his dogs. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce them. Even though I'm listening to it, I cannot remember how they pronounce them and I'm not even going to try. Uh, but this is, uh, you know, we're, we're getting, we're, this is the lead up to the execution. He's in the, I believe the, he's in some building that where they, where the king would normally do his like official business, I believe. And he's across from the, um, this tower that Manhooch's father had built the iron King. And, uh, it's where he would keep all his prisoners. Um, but we, you know, he finally meets Olam. Um, and, uh, there's a pretty cool exchange. Again, this is kind of why he gives me those brawn feelings is, uh, he, he enters in and he's really no nonsense with Thomas. And, you know, Thomas is like one of the most feared people in this world, at least in this nation. And he's very, you know, matter of fact with him. And, uh, there's smoke coming up from behind Olam, and he he says, "Are you on fire?" And he goes, "No, nope, that's my cigarette." And he's, um, and he he kind of well, we, well. Before we go any further, I like the little touch of detail here, as a as a pipe smoker, but not necessarily a cigarette or a cigar smoker. I enjoy that they were like they 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 talk about how cigarettes are a new thing in this world, how it's finally it's fine tobacco, you know, shag tobacco, but it's rolled up. And, uh, and, and Thomas, you know, the, the smoke gets to his nose and he's like, you know, it's a nice smell, definitely better than cigars, but not as pleasant as pipe tobacco. And I'm just like, man, that's, that's pretty interesting. Cause I mean, I, you know, uh, if anybody's here is listening to this, that also listens to another podcast that I'm a part of Pipecast, you probably know what I'm about to say, but you know, I enjoy pipe tobacco. It does have a nice flavor, um, a nice aroma to it regard to me, regardless if you're smoking an aromatic or you're smoking a, uh, an English or a vapor, but, um, but I, I'm not the big, biggest cigar smoker because that cigar smells so strong. And so it just, it, it clings to you a little bit more than pipe tobacco does though. I, but I cannot stand cigarette smoke the smell of cigarette smoke either so i don't know it's, it was just cool i enjoy it you know in fantasy it's kind of typical to talk about pipes uh i guess but of course this being more of a flintlock if i'm if i'm using the right terminology that kind of fantasy you know it's it's interesting we're not talking about pipes we're talking more about cigarettes but pipes are still being brought up i like that good nod a thin ribbon of smoke rose from behind Olam. Soldier, is your back on fire? No, sir, Olam said. The smoke. My cigarette, sir. Cigarette? All the latest fashion. Tobacco as fine as snuff, sir, and half the price. All the way from Fatrasta. I rolled them myself. You sound like an advertisement. Thomas felt annoyance creeping on. My cousin sells tobacco, sir. Why are you hiding it behind your back? Olam shrugged. You're a teetotaler, sir, and it's well known among the men you won't abide smoking either. Then why are you hiding it behind your back? 
waiting for you to turn around so I can have a hit, sir. At least he was honest. I had a sergeant flogged once for smoking in my tent. Why do you think I'll treat you any differently? That had been 25 years ago, and Thomas had almost lost his rank for it. Because you want me to watch your back, sir, Olam said. It goes to logic that you won't hand out a beating to the man you expect to keep you alive. I see, Thomas said. Olam hadn't even cracked a smile. Thomas decided that he did like the man, against his better judgment. They examined each other for a moment. Thomas couldn't help but watch the ribbon of smoke rising from behind Olam. The smell reached him then. It wasn't terribly unpleasant, less pungent than most cigars, but not as pleasant as pipe tobacco. There was even a minty tinge to it. It's like it's just one of these things where he's so, uh, you know, he's so upfront, so matter of fact that Thomas is like, I like this guy. I, I probably shouldn't like him, but I like him. So it's a, you know, I enjoyed that. Um, they go up to him, uh, the two of them and the dogs go up to the grand office and uh, they meet uh, Ricard, who is um, Ricard Tumblar. Uh, he's a leader of like the workers' union, um, and then uh, Andres, who we've already met, the Reeve. He shows up, and so is the archdiocese of the of the Cresimere Church. Um, he he announces that the king's treasury is empty. <laughs> the you know they talked about how he wanted to balance the books of what the of what the government because the government didn't have any money, so he was going to take money from Manhooch's treasury pay off debts, balance the books, and then what is it, what's ever left goes to the people. Uh, but the treasury is empty. <laughs> and so, you know, they don't, the, the, the people that have overthrown the king don't have money to do the essential things the government has to do. And um, Thomas says, well, you know, we're, we're about to kill all the nobility, so let's just sell off their land. And uh, Lady Winslow walks in. She's in charge of the Wings of Adam mercenary group uh and she's like you know she's wondering like what you know what, what's going on here selling off land all this stuff and the arch diocese basically is like you know the the church is going to get 15 percent of of it that was the agreement there's a little bit of a standoff um he's like thomas is like no you're gonna get five and you're gonna like it um <laughs> uh, and, when, and back up a little bit, we've already had a little altercation between Archdiocese and Ricard. Um, and you, you know that the Archdiocese, before he went to the rope, um, or was whatever, he was a really good swordsman. And even as a as the Archdiocese, he'll, he'll, from time to time, he still will call people out and fight them and kill them. So we already know he's a badass. But we know Thomas is a badass, too. And so Thomas steps up into it, and he's like, why don't we settle this now? And I'll even make it fair, or I'll make it interesting. I won't use gun. I won't use any guns or pistols because you know he's he's a powder mage, so he can he can control that. And um, basically, the priest makes a point. You know, like, hey, you know, if I killed you, then the country would go into chaos. Whatever. I'll talk to the rest of them. We'll see if we can do five percent. Um, the proprietor's eunuch. Because the proprietor, I think, is like the uh, like the drug underlord or uh, the king of the underworld, whatever. Uh, he runs like the underground stuff. He 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 never he never shows up in person, but he always sends his eunuch in. So he shows up, and then the vice chancellor of the university arrives, um, prime lector, who has a um, he has a beard, but he has a birthmark 
kind of like a spider web birthmark from his like uh, chin mouth area up to his ear and hair won't grow there. So it's like a, it's a very interesting visual. Um, but, um, they arrive, Thomas says, you know, we're going to let the mob riot after, you know, we're going to kill. We're, we're, well, uh, lady Winslow says something about, are you going to, are you going to say anything? Are you going to say anything to this mob of people? Because, uh, like the, the entire courtyard where they're about to do it is completely, uh, filled with people like, like there's, you can't see a piece of, of, of cobblestone or whatever it is. And, um, he's like, you, you are you going to say anything before we just start killing people? And he's like, no, they want blood and I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them a lot of blood. They're so much blood. They're going to choke on it. And he says, I'm going to, then we're going to, we're going to sort of silo them over to where the nobility live. And he's like, they're going to, we're going to, you know, let, we're going to let them have at it. They're going to kill their sons and rape their daughters. He goes crazy into it. Um, and he, and then he's, and he's like, you know, after a few days, I'll come in and we'll, we'll restore order. And the, all the people there, the six that have come together to basically replace Manhooch, um, they're like taking a backbite a little bit. Uh, but then they start having conversations about, you know, the government and things like that. And, uh, Thomas goes over, sits down, puts his hands on his on his hounds, and kind of he he actually dozes off. Um, and then he wakes up in time for the uh, for the execution, and he mentions that you know uh, you know him he's got Olam kind of looking for the privileged. At the same time, he has or he, Olam's keeping an eye out, but at the same time, Daniel and and the three others have gone up to skyline to get the scent of the privilege and they're they're gonna hunt hunt her down but they're kind of looking for him because he has all those six there with him kind of as bait to bait that privilege out um the king and queen along with the nobility are led out to be executed um off to the side a few blocks over uh, a group of dragoons make their way to stop it uh the mountain watchmen i guess another group of mercenaries i believe mercenaries they intercept um, and then the king and queen are, uh, well, the dragoons get, 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 they start getting killed and then the king and queen are executed. Uh, that's like a really quick rundown of what happened in chapter five. Like I said, there was a lot in chapter five. It was probably the most dense chapter of these five. And, uh, I, you know, I enjoyed it. There's a lot of little stuff. You know, like I said, I may have skipped over some things and missed some things, but, it was very, um, it was, it was, it was really good. Like I said, there's a lot of information, but I didn't feel while reading it. I didn't feel like it was too much. It, you know, it was, it was just enough action dialogue with a little bit of exposition here and there. But yeah, so these first chapters are really good. Like I said, I'm really interested. I like all the characters. I really like Adam and I really like Olam. Uh, I like Thomas. But I'll, you know, and I like Daniel. I'm interested to see where their dynamic goes. But really, what's pushing me forward is I'm super invested in this mystery. I want to know what is Casimir's promise. Um, and so, like, I'm curious because this is a trilogy, and is that is Casimir's promise going to be revealed in this book? And then, if it, if it is revealed. Is there something else going to take its place to get me to keep going for the rest of the book, or is it going to drag throughout the whole, through the whole trilogy? 
I hope I hope I get some answers, but I hope those answers lead to more questions. Naturally, right? But yeah, I, I like these first five chapters. Um, uh, so far, it's a, it's a it's a it's a good book. I haven't read anything like it before. I kind of what well, kind of feels like there's some books that I read by James Lovegrove, I think is his name. They're like Sherlock Holmes meets Cthulhu. Uh, they have this kind of vibe to them. So this kind of has like a Sherlock Holmes vibe. Like that's the world I'm picturing in my head. So um, w- one final thing that I want to uh, add in there, you know, I, I do like the character of Thomas, though I will say, you know, this is a different time, right? You know, if in a modern, in the modern sense, there seems to be less brutality amongst us as uh, civilized people, uh, for the most part. Uh, but more so, we have a sense of where the line is, you know. And one thing I will say about Thomas, you know, he he's already done some things that are in so far in the story that are villainous in a way. You know, he he says he's going to let the people kill the sons and he's going to rape the daughters. Um, granted, he's not doing that, but he's going to let them do it. Like he knows that's what's going to happen and he's allowing it to happen. But also he, um, I think he's justified in, again, because of the time period that this is mimicking, it's mimicking that, um, you know, early, early age of, of pistols and, and, um, you know, kind of that transition. I get, I get kind of, you know, uh, 1800s feeling almost, you know, you know, maybe civil war. I could be off, but you know, a couple, a couple, you know, decades or so, but it's around that time period, you know, bayonets and, and things like that. So again, there is some brutality to it, but like, I guess I can justify him killing the King, but I don't, under there hasn't been any justification on why the nobility is is being killed um and i mean you could make the assumption that they are you know you know it could be you know it's a um what do you call it it it's a, a fiefdom no that might not be the right word um you know it, it's a society where there there is a, a, a it's a class structure and you could make the assumption that the nobility probably treat the people below them uh, like crap. But is that justification to wholesale murder uh, the entire nobility? I mean, it, you know, it, it. some of the nobility could just be they were born into it. They didn't, you know, they had no control over it. So, again, I, I'm... I'm I'm kind of leaving it up to, you know, hey, this this is just a time period that is brutal. But let's say this was a set in the current day. I'm like, man, I mean, you just wholesale killing a whole bunch of people. You know, is that right? Um, but again, he, you know, he's already been established that this man, like I said earlier, uh, I, I, his, he's looking for peace no matter how many men, women, and children he has to kill to do it. Like, you know, he's kind of that peacemaker kind of thing, but more serious. It's not funny. Like, he is, that's who he is, it seems like, from these first chapters. So I I wanted to to at least touch on that, because that's something to kind of think about. 
you know, how, you know, is this person who he's like a villain you want to pull for? I mean, he is he actually a villain? Like, will he become a villain? Like in the truest sense? Or is he, you know, kind of like a, um, like a, a Frank Underwood in, in House of Cards. Like he's doing evil things and we like watching him do it, you know? Are we that messed up? So uh, I wanted to, to, add, to just touch on that a little bit, but that's the end of this uh, episode. We've covered chapters one through five. Again, I apologize if we missed anything. Please come back next week. We will be doing chapters six through ten. Uh, should be a good time. Uh, I, I, I'm Again, I'm excited about where this is going. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next week.